Okay, welcome back everyone. Grab your seat and your Bible. And as you're doing that, we'll turn to Daniel chapter 9. Um, so I, I have a few things I forgot to mention. You probably talked to Jenny. Dave did not have his surgery this week. Uh, we prayed for him last week because of a snafu at the hospital. So uh, he's rescheduled for, did you say March 1st? March 1st. March 1st, yeah. So we'll hold him in prayer for his, his surgery coming up on, on March 1st. Uh, also, uh, I'm going to embarrass these two folks over here, John and Brenda. Would you raise your hands, please? Thank you. Uh, these folks, when I <clears throat> first got in, well, I got first introduced to Calvary Chapel back in like 1994, but um, the first uh, Calvary Chapel church I went to, they were at, and uh, they are just special people to Virginia and I, and it's good to see you, and uh, have been an encouragement to us all, all through the years, so it's just a real blessing to, to see you guys today, so thank you for being here. I told them, and this is a true story, maybe two days ago, I was, you know, you're kind of doing your, your business, and uh, their, their faces popped into my mind, and I thought, man, I wonder where they are and what they're doing. I'd love to see them, and bam, here they are. So, <laughs> praise God. So, Daniel chapter 9. We are not going to get to the uh, prophecy part today that's quite involved uh, but we are going to get through the first part of the chapter, which leads up to that point. So let's uh, begin by reading our passage together. We're going to read those 19 verses there in Daniel chapter 9. We'll have the passage up here on the screen for you if you need it. And let's begin by reading God's Word. <clears throat> in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans... In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make my request, excuse me, to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off and the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness. Through him we have rebelled against him. Excuse me, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God, to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. 
Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such never has been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all who are around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. May it run swiftly into our hearts, into the deep recesses and the dark places of our hearts and minds. And may you illumine to us this morning all that you have for us. May you speak to us corporately. May you speak to us individually as we open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we've been going through this prophetic section of Daniel, we started in chapter 7 two weeks ago and chapter 8 last week. And those are interesting chapters. I think chapter 8 was a very tough chapter to, to teach. But the point is that what God is doing as he's speaking to Daniel, uh, he spoke to to Daniel in chapter 7 about three years prior to this, and then two years later in chapter 8 he spoke as we covered that last week, and we're just a little bit further down the road at this point as this uh, prayer is being prayed by Daniel. And chapter 9, as we have it, opens with Daniel having been reading God's word. And may I be so bold as to suggest that as he was reading God's word, that he was having a devotional time. And he was having his devotional time in the book of Jeremiah. But he was reading other parts of the scriptures that he had copies of. And I think the first thing to point out is it's amazing that Daniel, now being somewhere between 85 and 90 years old, remember when he was taken captive to Babylon, he was probably roughly 15 years old. 
So he's way down the road here. He's almost at the end of the 70 years. We're probably just two or three years at this point from that 70-year prophecy being fulfilled. And so as he's reading God's word, and no doubt he's reading not only the, the prophet Jeremiah's letter, but he must have copies of whatever else is written at that point because he refers back to God's law. He calls out some very specific things that are written in God's law. And so he's been given, he's been blessed with a copy of the scriptures. And as he's reading, we find here in chapter 9, verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Remember, this was the, the, the kingdom that was prophesied that would come up um, after the kingdom of Babylon. This would be the second kingdom, both in chapter 2, as we read about that statue, the, the, the chest and the arms. And then we've covered this again in Daniel chapter 7. We've covered it again in Daniel chapter 8. So here he is now, Darius uh, the Mede is uh, ruling alongside King Cyrus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made um, king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. So he's giving us a marker in time. I, Daniel, understood by the books, listen, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So remember, Daniel had this history, he had this habit, this lifelong habit of seeking God. It's called out for us in Daniel chapter 6 before he was fed to the lions for praying and for not worshiping uh, the king. Remember, the the people had tricked the king into signing a law to say, uh, people must worship you, O king, and honor you and pay homage to you for 30 days. But Daniel did what he was always doing. He would get up, go three days and pray, and he would get up in the morning and open his windows to toward Jerusalem and pray. So Daniel had this long history of getting before the Lord, probably on his knees, and praying and seeking the Lord. And on this particular day, it's like he's journaling, right? He's writing this down for us. God spoke to his heart. And God spoke in a very deep way to him. So Daniel was seeking God. Daniel was reading God's word. And then God himself brought understanding and enlightenment to Daniel's heart as he read. And just as God was doing this for Daniel, let me just encourage you that God does this for us. If we will do what Daniel did, if we will seek God, if we will get before him, if we will read his word, then he will bring understanding and enlightenment to us. And I don't know about you, I assume we're all the same in that we all need help. We, we need the Lord. We have questions. We want to know about the path ahead. Should I turn left or right, God? Or should I stay right here and do what I'm doing? God, how, how do you want us to do this or that? Praying for our decisions. God, should I sell my house or should I move or should we spend money? Should we, you know, what should we do? Raising our kids, people in our lives. Lord, how do we do these things? How do we interact? And God will, will do this for us if we will draw near to him. Now, I want to give you the background here because it's very interesting. So keep your finger here and turn back a bit to Jeremiah chapter 25. We want to look at these two passages that talk about the 70 years captivity. 
And we want to see what Daniel was reading. What was it that affected him? Because this whole prayer that we just read moved Daniel very deeply. So Jeremiah chapter 25. So we'll read the first 10 verses. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So this takes us all the way back to Daniel chapter 1, 605 B.C., which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years from the 30th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of God, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. That's in Daniel's prayer, isn't it? Because he says, Lord, we've not listened to you. We've not obeyed. You have neither uh, listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets. So Jeremiah is speaking to the people, saying, you didn't listen. And God was gracious. And what did God do? He didn't just say it once. He kept saying it over and over and over through the prophet Jeremiah over a period of nearly 60 years. And then he sent other prophets along with the same or similar message to speak to the people. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, turn now, every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you, given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to, own, to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction." And make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. What a description. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. Continuing on in verse 11, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So this is prior to the exile. And God is saying, I've given you many, many, many opportunities to repent and to turn and to obey and to do the right thing. Flip a few pages over to the right to Jeremiah 29. And you'll probably see a heading at the top of that passage of Scripture that says something like Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. So he's sort of writing in advance to the people who are in exile. 
Isn't that so cool? God's, God's now, he's saying, because you wouldn't listen, this is going to happen. And now uh, Daniel is there reading this. He's reading Daniel, chap- excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's look at this, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles. Wow. And to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now jump down to verse 10 of chapter 29. Familiar passage. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you to exile. Isn't that amazing? We've read the prophecy in Daniel 25, excuse me, Jeremiah 25, where where Jeremiah spoke, or by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord spoke to the nation of Judah. And then in Daniel, Daniel, well, we're in Daniel. Daniel's reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, we're reading what Daniel read. And this is what moved Daniels to pray the prayer that we have just read here in Daniel chapter 9. And remember, part of what sent the people into exile was the issue of the Sabbath rest uh, spelled out for us in Leviticus 25, that every seven years, the land needed to have a Sabbath rest. And on every 50th year, so you come to 49 and then you hit 50, the 50th year would also be the year of Jubilee, and it would be another year of Sabbath rest. And understand something, that during those years when, when the people had to rest that land, that means that they were not as productive, and we assume they, they sort of rotated, like they had this plot over here, they were farming and that one and that one, and they would give this one the rest while they farmed the other ones. But because of those years of downturn, they would have to trust God to make up the difference because they were really being obedient to God and observing these years of Sabbath rest. But yet it seems that they didn't want to observe those years of Sabbath rest because they wanted the produce from, from that part of the property that was supposed to be getting the rest. And so, you know, they were taking that extra money and they were using us to worship other gods and to buy things and to accumulate material wealth and all of that. But rather than honoring God from the first fruits of everything that he had given to them, they were honoring themselves and they had turned away from following God. This law was not only helpful for the land, but it was helpful to restore the the spiritual life of the people because the people, by honoring God and his word, were reaching out in faith and trusting God that he was able and that he would provide and meet their needs because they were living in obedience to him. And then God sends through Jeremiah this word and the Babylonians come in and they attack and they take uh, the people captive and uh, destroy the city. So in verse 3, Daniel has read these things that we've just read and more. He says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God, 
to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So let's point out something here. The Word of God, as Daniel was there devoting himself to the Lord, the Word of God spoke to him in such a way that he was moved, that he was driven to his knees. I, I set my face toward the Lord God. This is his response to reading the stuff we just read. And to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. See, Daniel's moved to prayer having read God's word. The word of God is directing his prayers. Now, you know how we are with our prayers. I'll just speak for myself. I'm sure nobody else is like me in this room. God, here's my list. Uh, We've got a big expense coming up. We need some money for that. Can you please provide? Thank you. Amen. Uh, my aunt is sick. Can you pray? please help her? Thank you. Amen. Uh, got this unsafe friend over here. He needs to get saved. Could you please, you know, get somebody to him to preach the gospel? And we just have our list, and we kind of rattle it off before God. And, oh, yeah, and Lord, I just, I'm emotionally compromised right now, and I don't feel good, and would you help me with that? And, you know, we can take our stuff to God, can't we? But this is the kind of stuff we pray about. Look at what Daniel's praying about. Because God's word has moved him off of himself and out of his own realm of concern into the realm of the concerns of God. And that's what God's word does for us. In addition to feeding us and encouraging us, God's word takes us to a place where we begin to see things as God sees them and we begin to to pray as God would have us to pray. Do we want to pray for the lost? Absolutely. We want to pray as God wants us to pray. And as as Daniel has read this, he's encountered God in and through his word and it's caused this deep response. The word has driven him to prayer. The word has driven him to take action in prayer. And the word has driven him to plead for mercy even with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. It's driven him to a place that most of us never go. A place deep in the private where we we get on our knees and we we plead and we pray and we fast and we seek God. And he says in verse 4, And I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession. So this is another thing that the word did. It drove him to confession. And he said, Oh Lord, great and awesome God. Notice how how he addresses God. Sometimes we get a little flippant with God, don't we? Hey, hey dad, hey pops. And I would like to encourage you, while we may have that right, while, you know, Jesus said, you know, Abba, Father, we can call him that. That we keep in mind that he is holy, that he is awesome, that he is mighty, that he is high above the heavens, that he is the creator of the universe. And yes, we've been given an audience with God by the blood of Christ because we've been ushered into the very presence of God. And that's a good thing. But we, I don't think we should be flippant with God. And notice how he addresses him. Oh, Lord, great and awesome God. And Daniel's not doing this with pretense. He's not doing this like we might go before a human king and try to impress them with the, the pomp and the way we address them and all of that. No, it's, it's none of that. This is a, a genuine, repentant, humbled man who comes before the presence of God. And he says these things. Great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him. Notice. Mercy with those who love him. You ever meet people who don't know God, but they're mad at God because God hasn't taken care of them? 
Now, God is gracious, but God will allow people to go into the, a corner and drive them to a hard place until they come to him. And, and the question for those people who thumb their noses at God and who are mad at him because of what he didn't do for them, a good question to say was, is, to them is, well, how have you served him? Do you love him? Why do you expect things from a God that you hate? And he says in verse 5, notice, we have sinned. Not they have sinned or you've sinned. He puts himself and he says, Lord, we've sinned. Now, Daniel has graduated from praying for, from him, for himself to saying, Lord, we, we, your people, we have sinned. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and from your judgments. This is all direct response to what he just read. And you see, God's word has moved him. It's driven him now to confession. God's word has driven him to intercession, to praying for others. And the confession of sin involves sin and specific attitudes and thoughts. It was interesting, one commentator was making the point of how we often go before God to pray and say, oh Lord, you know, I don't love that brother or that sister the way I ought and, you know, help me to do that. When in reality, we hate them. When in reality, we wish they weren't even in our lives. And we wish that we would never have to see them again or speak to them again. And we kind of soften this thing, oh God, you know, I don't love them the way I should. You know, God can't deal with hypocrisy. He can't work with us through our hypocrisy, but he can deal with honesty. If we go before him and say, God, this is what's in my heart. I don't know why, Lord, I just, I don't like this person. I don't like that guy. I don't, know why he, I don't like the way he looks at me. I don't like the car he drives. You know, whatever it is, just deal with it before God. Confess specific attitudes and thoughts. And notice as Daniel starts here, he, he, he comes to make confession, but he comes and he declares the amazing nature of God. He acknowledges God for who he is. He worships God. It drove him to praise and to thanksgiving. And notice when we pray as Daniel, if we want to use Daniel as a pattern here, it's important that we focus on the character of God and not become too preoccupied with ourselves and our burdens. To focus upon the Lord. Rather than just coming to God and just going, you know, hey, Lord, here's, here's my, my dump list today of things, to come and to worship him for who he is. It's one thing to pray to the Lord and quite something else to be able to be a worshiping intercessor. When we see the greatness and the glory of God, it helps to put down our own burdens and, the need, and our own needs in proper perspective. By exercising even little faith in a great God, we can move the hand of God to accomplish wonders that will glorify His name. Dr. Robert A. Cook used to say, if you can explain what's going on in your ministry, God didn't do it. Because when God does it, the only explanation is that God did it. Every time I read something like this, this convicts me and it causes me to to feel a certain pain for the church today. How many churches are, they're all about marketing. We have all the programs. We've got everything you could possibly need right here. One-stop shopping. Churches today have become like a shopping mall, haven't they? I can get all of my needs met there. 
and the needs of my family. And I'm not saying that those churches are bad. You know, if God's doing a work, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying this is sort of where we've come to. We, we have to have the, the fluff and the makeup and all the things and the pretty websites and everything has to be neatly done and in order and all of that. And if you can explain that people are coming because you have all the programs, they're coming to the church because it's a beautiful place and all those things, if you can explain that, then is God really working? Because when we read the book of Acts, which we just studied, the people couldn't explain it except that God was moving, remember? And the Lord added 3,000 souls to the church that day. And the Lord was adding to the church such as should be saved. Who was doing it? Not the marketing programs, not all the hooks out there to draw people in. It was the Lord. And that's what I want. I'm not against all those things, but if God moves and leads in that direction, fine. But I don't want to have those things because, man, we need more flash and we need more spit and polish so we can get more people in the doors. That's not God. Daniel's before God. He's convicted. The, the word drove him to acknowledgement of who God truly is. He, he prayed with the word we because he says, I'm one of them. I'm here. I'm in captivity in Babylon. I've been here for almost 70 years. I'm a part of this. He's not looking back saying, I'm here because of my forefathers and it was their fault. God, why am I being punished for their sins? He didn't say that. He says, no, I'm here. We, we have sinned against you. Daniel confessed Israel's sin as he prayed as if he were as bad as the rest of Israel. This was a confession of we, not they. In this sense, their prayers never really reached God. God, uh, genuine prayers we see, in genuine praying, we see self correctly, and we see our fellow saints with compassion. Ever prayed for God's justice on someone who's hurt or offended you? But then turn around and say, God, be merciful to me? Isn't that a little out of whack? I want justice for others, but mercy for myself. Daniel wanted mercy for everybody. It's a different way of seeing things. As I was reading all this and thinking about it, this is what hit me. Sometimes I hear a lot of us, myself included, saying, oh, our country's going downhill. Our country, our country's going to hell in a handbasket. Look at what's happening. The foundations are unraveling. All these things are happening. Drag queens are reading stories to kids in libraries. And, uh, you know, sexual perversion is being celebrated on TV and I think it was last Sunday night. I didn't watch it because I never watched these things. But in the Grammys, someone did a satanic ritual, one of the performers. This is on national TV. This is being celebrated. And we look at that and we point our finger at them and we say, look at those evil people. But you see, we, the modern church, we have not been what we're supposed to be. In love with Jesus first. Fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission, loving our neighbors as God loves us. Caring more about others than ourselves. Praying for our leaders in our country as opposed to hating them because they're liberal. 1 Peter chapter 4, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? You see, what Daniel was praying 
is the prayer we need to be praying. Instead of looking at them, you, you see, these things have happened. Abortion has, has gotten to where it is because we have not been here. We have not been present. We have only cared about ourselves. We need to be praying. Folks, if we want to see the country turn around, it's not going to happen because we elect conservative people. God may use that. But elections aren't the answer necessarily. Conservative versus liberal, that's not necessarily the answer. God is the answer. And the only way anything's going to change, just as it was in Daniel's time, lest we end up like Judah living in Babylon is that we do what Daniel did and we pray. We say, God, please. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote these words to Timothy. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, not just the ones we like. For kings... And all who are in authority for presidents and senators and representatives. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That doesn't mean so we can sit in a corner and not be involved. That means that when God does what he does through government, because doesn't Romans 13 or 14 tell us that, that God puts government in place? And if we have liberal, left-leaning, wacko people being elected to office, I look at that as God's judgment and allowing us to go where the trajectory that we're on. He's going to allow our sin to come back and judge us. Instead, we ought to be doing what Daniel did and confessing and falling on our knees. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Daniel continued on in verse 6. Neither have we heeded your, serv- heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings. This was God's grace to them, right? He sent person after prophet after whomever in to say whatever the Lord's message was to them, you know, repent, turn from your ways, don't worship foreign gods, don't get caught up in fornication, you know, stay away from these things. And that was God's grace and mercy as he sent these people over, you know, by over and over and over and over. O Lord, righteousness, verse 7, belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those near and and those far off in the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. In other words, God is righteous and we are shameful. Instead of complaining, Daniel confessed. During times of great revival among God's people, the Holy Spirit always brings a deep conviction and awareness of sin. 
And when that is responded to rightly, confession is appropriately made. J. Edwin Orr gives a good principle to govern confession. If you sin secretly, confess secretly, admitting publicly that you need the victory but keeping details to yourself. If you sin openly, confess openly to remove stumbling blocks from those whom you have hindered. If you have sinned spiritually, as in prayerlessness, lovelessness, and unbelief, as well as their offspring, criticism, and other things like that, then confess to the church that you have been a hindrance. J. Edwin Orr is probably one of the most prolific writers on what true revival and repentance looks like among God's people. Verse 8, as we continue, O Lord, to us belong shame of face to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. The open shame of God's people is a witness against them, as well as bringing shame on the name of God. And yet God had to judge. And it was a risk God had to take, because he had to do what was right. He did have to commit justice. He did have to commit holiness and and bring our sin into the light of holiness and see it for what it truly was. And that's what they had to do. And so they were there, they were in exile. And Daniel heard this, Daniel saw this as he read it. And the word of God moved him to this train of thought, to this, this line of praying. And then in verse nine, to the Lord, our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. So now he's sort of getting, sort of hinting to what has to happen. Mercy and forgiveness is what has to happen. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. I didn't even count the number of times he said all the things that they have not done. And you say, Daniel, you're being kind of negative. Well, he's seeing sin for what it truly is in the light of our holy and gracious and merciful God. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He's going back further than, Dan- than Jeremiah's prophecy. He's going back to the law. As God gave the law to Moses and he says, You know, we could say it's because, you know, Jeremiah came and he warned us, but all Jeremiah was doing was warning us that what God had beforehand said was not being obeyed. And he goes all the way back to the law of Moses. And he says, you weren't even keeping the basics of the Ten Commandments. So because of this, now we've come to this place. And notice Daniel's breadth and depth of knowledge concerning the Holy Scriptures, the voice of God, his laws, his prophets, the law of Moses, your righteousness, your mercies. These things don't just come to us because we come to church on Sunday. They come to people who are immersed in God's word. And this prayer that Daniel is praying, the things that he is saying, comes from a response in his heart to God's word, to the conviction that God brought to him, to the vision that God brought to him of what had happened in the judgment as to why specifically he was there. I'm sure Daniel had some sense of it, But here he is, again, between 85 and 90 years old. It's almost the 70 years. It's probably on the 67th or 68th year at this point as he's reading this. And and the response we're getting here in chapter 9, it would seem that Daniel's had an epiphany. He's had an awakening in the presence of God. Now it all makes sense. And he's like, 
I've been here for 67 years because of this. This is why we're here, God, because of sin, because of a refusal to acknowledge who you are, because of an unwillingness to trust you. This is why we're here. And as he confirmed his words, which he spoke, verse 12, against us and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster, for under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, and yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord, before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. You see, these, these things were there in their lives. They were in captivity, all of it, because of their unwillingness to turn. And so they kept sinning without repentance. They kept sinning without turning. And all they had to do was turn. All they had to do was repent. All they had to do was to call upon the name of the Lord. And this is where pride takes us, right? We talked about this with King Nebuchadnezzar with our pride. We get to a place where we're like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say sorry. You can't make me. And we allow this pride to come up in our lives to the place that we, we read something in God's word and we go, that sounds cool, but not for me. And we put ourselves in the same place that these people were in. Now, thank God we have not been taken captive. But what if God did it? Wouldn't he be just? If God allowed a nation to come in and overtake our nation and ravage it and destroy our cities and destroy our capital and destroy our government and take all of us slaves or come and set up a new regime and now we have to be slaves and serve a master and you can't work your job anymore and you get daily rations, sort of like what the Nazis did during World War II. What if that happened to us? You see, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that something like that could happen. Would, would we then be driven to repentance because the nation of Israel after 70 years hadn't? It took Daniel's eyes being opened one day as he's reading his Bible, so to speak, for these things to happen. And now he begins to pray and he's like, God, you got to stir us up. God, we got to get the word out. We need to repent. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. This uh, particular commentator said this, and it really spoke to me, but there was something even worse than the sins that brought divine punishment to Israel. It was the refusal of the Jews to repent and confess their sins even after being taken captive. They spent their time praying for judgment against Babylon rather than seeking God's face and asking for his forgiveness. They kept looking outward for the enemy, but the enemy was within O Lord, according to all your righteous judgments, verse 16, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your holy city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, verse 17, our God, hear the prayer of your servant 
and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Notice what he does now. He says, God, we, we have no right to ask you to do this. So we're coming to appeal to you on behalf of your reputation, on behalf of your name. God, would you do these things? Would you turn this thing around Spurgeon says, oh, that we might learn how to pray that God should be the subject as well as the object of our supplications. Oh, God, thy church needs thee above everything else. A poor, little, sick, neglected child needs 50 things, but you can put all those needs into one if you say that the child needs its mother. So the church of God needs a thousand things, but you can put them all into one if you say the church of God needs her God. Verse 18, O God, O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. Listen, this is important. For, you should underline this if it's not underlined. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Why do we come to God? We're, we're throwing ourselves upon his mercy. Not because of anything we've done. On what basis could anyone possibly stroll into the throne room of God and say, hey God, I'm here. You owe me something. No one, not one single human who's ever been born or ever will be born can do that. We do not present our supplications. We don't come and pray before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercies. And thank God that now that we're under the blood of Christ, we can now say it's because of your righteousness. It's because of the righteous robes of Christ. It's because of the righteous blood of Jesus. We can only come to him on the basis of his love, his grace, his mercy. That's it. Apart from that, you have nothing. I have nothing. We have nothing. Paul wrote, but God who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. One day, uh, Jesus, in his ministry, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, as he was passing by, there were two blind men on the side of the road, and they they began to follow him, and they began crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Those men didn't cry out to Jesus on the basis of their blindness or whatever. They called out to him on the basis of his mercy. In Matthew 15, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She came and asked Jesus for help on the basis of his mercy. In Matthew 17, the man said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. 
How did he come? Lord, have mercy. Mark chapter 5, as Jesus was getting into the boat, this was in the, the scene in the Gadarenes as they had made it to the other side after the storm and the crazy man was living in the caves with shackles on and had a legion of demons and Jesus had cast the demons out of him, verse Mark 5.18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. If you want to plagiarize a testimony, there's a good one right there. And he went away and began to proclaim in the capitalists and in the region how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Romans chapter 9, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. For then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he, God, has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. That reminds us of the sovereignty of God, but it also reminds us of the mercy of God. And finally, in verse 19 of Daniel 9, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel is moved after having been in the presence of God and after having prayed and after having read God's word, he's now at the place where he is not only crying out to God, but he's begging God to move now. He's, he's crying out for immediacy in, in God's response to his people. He's saying, Lord, please. And reading between the lines a bit, he's saying, Lord, if you don't do something, we're going to perish. And this reminds me of a few good places in God's word where we are called to such a thing as what Daniel is saying here. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 1 Peter chapter 4 comes at this from a slightly different angle, but it's the same result. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And we have to, we have to stop here, and this, of course, leads us into the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. But it's, inter it's interesting to me, and we'll get into this next, next time, but that Daniel's heart has been softened through this experience of reading God's word and understanding God's word and having it sort of quickened to his heart. And then he's in a place to receive something amazing from God. This prophecy that has rocked the world since it was written 2,600 years ago. And he's in a place where he can receive the things that God has to tell him about the time of the end, the time when Jesus would come the first time and the time when Jesus would come the second time. One of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible comes to Daniel after his heart has been softened and he's humbled himself before God. 
Now we say we want to hear from God, but how bad do we want to hear from God? Let me close with this. Perhaps you've heard of a man who lived many years ago who was part of the Reformation. His name was John Knox. He was famous for the statement, give me Scotland or I die. I want to read to you a little blurb someone wrote about his life so we can understand how this kind of situation that Daniel had experienced could end up affecting us because John Knox had a similar kind of an experience. John Knox was born in Scotland about 1514. He was only about three years old when the Protestant Reformation started in Germany in 1517, converted to Protestantism from Roman Catholicism. John Knox lived in the time when it was often very dangerous to be a follower of Christ when the Roman Catholic Mary Tudor, also known as Bloody Mary, because of her ruthless persecution of the Protestants, became queen in 1533, Knox, who was in England at the time, was forced to hide. He eventually landed in Geneva, where he met John Calvin, who became his mentor. Knox returned to Scotland in 1559, the year after Queen Bloody Mary died, and was succeeded by the Protestant Queen Elizabeth. He remained in Scotland bringing the Reformation, bringing Reformation to the church until his death in 1572. Today, people remember John Knox as the leader of the Protestant Reformation in Scotland and the founder of the Scottish Presbyterianism, as we know it. But what others don't realize is that by the end of his ministry, he became more well-known for his prayer than for his other ministries. The devout Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Why do you think the queen said this? Well, because she saw the impact of John Knox's prayer. From a human point of view, it was the prayer of Knox that sparked the Reformation in Scotland. His prayer became the fuel of the ongoing Reformation during his time. His prayer shook the land of Scotland, causing a revival among God's people. Perhaps of all the prayers of John Knox, give me Scotland or I die is the most quoted one. It was not an arrogant prayer, but a passionate plea showing his intense desire for the conversion of the people of Scotland. His prayer was an expression of his great confidence in God. One of Knox's mottos was, one man with God is always in the majority. His prayer also echoes the Apostle Paul's prayer in Romans 10.1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I wonder if we have the same desire for our fellow countrymen. When was the last time you prayed for your country like Knox did for his? Do we sincerely pray for our fellow countrymen's conversion? Grant us, Lord, the perfect hatred of sin was one of John Knox's prayers. Indeed, after he died on November 24, 1572, at the age of 58, Principal Smeaton, one of John Knox's contemporaries, said of him, I know not if ever God placed a more godly and great spirit in a body so little and so frail. So this was a man who was moved by God. And this was the impact of his life. And, and we don't share these stories to immortalize him. We share these stories because this is a, a testimony to us of what God can do in the life of one person, like he did in Daniel, like he did in Joseph, like he did in Elijah, like he did in Paul, like he did in the Apostle John. 
like he did in the life of John Knox and others, who are willing to be moved by God. I would say, let us pray as John Knox prayed. Let us pray as Daniel prayed. Let us pray as Jesus prayed. But above all things, let us pray. Lord, we call upon you this morning. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you for how you have spoken. And and God, I, I pray that none of us walk out of here feeling guilty, but that we do feel convicted and that we will start doing things in secret, namely getting on our knees and seeking your face and reading your word and praying and allowing you to move us as you moved Daniel. Because we know that genuine prayer brings genuine change. And Lord, I I hope that none of us are at the place this morning where we will say, I don't want anything to change in my life. I like it the way it is. I pray, God, that we would be open by faith to what you want to do, to what you might want to change in our lives. Because whatever you do, we know ultimately is for our good and for your glory. And I pray that we would be open to things that you would want to do for our good and for your glory. Because, Lord, we know one day we will stand before you. And uh, nobody's going to judge us on all the things the world would judge us on. You're going to look at us and say, what have you done with my son? And how has our relationship with you through your son, Jesus, how has the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin, changed us? Oh, God that we might be in love with you the way Daniel was in love with you, John Knox, your son. And Lord, may we just seek your face. May we bless your name. May we be content with godliness. And may we humble ourselves before you. Thank you, Lord. We open our hearts to you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.